Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, I want to welcome everybody, and it's good to be back on this campus. And uh, earlier this morning, we streamed a message. We're streaming a series over to uh, our East Campus, and we had an opportunity there this morning for that campus uh, for the first time to have their uh, new campus pastor, Pastor Jose and his wife, Gigi. Can we give it up for them? There they are right there. And uh, we had such a powerful weekend uh, last weekend, and I want to show you, here's a picture of the installation. This is sort of us praying for them over that moment, and gosh, what a powerful, powerful time that was, and we're super excited about that. We will be launching another campus by the end of the year over in the Lake Worth area, and Brandon and Haley Weaver are going to lead that, and they're right there. They're going to stand. Would you just say hi to them? There they are. Super excited about that. I told the people, uh, our, our church service uh, this morning at nine, that I said over in our East Campus, which is in West Palm Beach. Has anybody else noticed that we've done that? The East Campus is in West Palm. That makes this extra West out here. And so we don't really know where we are and what we're doing. I remember I told somebody uh, years ago, you might have heard me mention this, that I invited a guy to our church and he said, I don't do organized religion. And we were like a hot mess. I said, you'll fit in just fine. We do disorganized religion at Community of Hope. So anyhow, I'm pumped about that. Um, you know, before we go on, I do want to say a, a little a bit, a bit about this past week. Uh, when we were worshiping this morning... Uh, I want to acknowledge that I feel I feel the tension in the room around um, singing songs that talk about God's greatness, and we had this horrible, horrific thing that happened in our in our culture in our neighborhood. And uh, I have to tell you what I've been thinking about all week long. In a way, uh, the Lord sort of gave me a word and said, "You know what? Um, thank you that we just did a series on mistaken identities." And one of the mistaken identities that sometimes we experience in, in, in church world is bodyguard God mistaken identity. And uh, we learned again this weekend right here visited upon us, right, that evil exists. Evil is in the world. And uh, Jesus said in his word, the, the, the word that Christine has been reading over the last year, that, um, you know, God is in a place of redeeming what is lost and what is broken. And all of us have been touched by what is lost, stolen, and broken. In fact, that's the definition of the enemy. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said we would see that every now and again. I I, I can remember when I was dealing with some of these questions when I was a young man uh, in seminary, and I had a professor share with me that In his view, I'll never forget that he said this. He said, in his view, he said, when we see these kinds of things break out in the world, it is is the passing gasp of an enemy that knows he's lost. And we have a God who will have the last word. And so one of the things I, I just have such passion about in our church is that our church is an authentic church. We're not... 
We're not going to sing happy songs when, you know, that don't have meaning. We're going to sing these songs because they aspirationally point us toward a theology that says God will have the last word over even that. And so there's hope in that, right? There's hope in that, even as we grieve these families. Uh, I, Beth and I were over at the store yesterday at 7 a.m. to welcome employees back into the store and to, and to pray over the store and to just, just say community of hope. We're here. We care and we love you. And I think in the, in the future, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be present there. There's a lot of fear there. But I'm grateful that we have a God who is at work even right now to restore what's been lost. Amen? And so, yeah. Uh, I want to say as we move on that uh, when that happened, I started to pray to the Lord. I said, should I just, should I ditch everything that, that I've been wanting to lead us into some of these important conversations? And I felt a strong impression from the Lord to, that I felt like he said no. Because um, these are, this is all interwoven together, right? We are in a subject, we are in a series right now. Uh, we're in week two of a series we're calling United. And we're exploring the subject of unity and how it is that we can get along with one another in a culture that has experienced sweeping change. Uh, this is where we are in our world right now. We have conversations that we have been invited into. We have conversations that have been thrust upon us. We have conversations that are good conversations that are long overdue that we need to have. Someone say amen to that. Uh, we have conversations that at the end of the day might not even be the right conversation. Can we say amen to that? And so we're in a, we're in a, a series right now where we're talking about these things. And uh, what, what our aim is on a Sunday morning and the weekends right now is to navigate in constructive and helpful ways this conversation. How do we as the body of Christ... Uh, how do we add our voice to the conversation in constructive ways? How do we become salt and light in a world that has lost its way? This is what is relevant. This is what's important. And I want to move us uh, into this uh, conversation. Uh, a few years ago, some of you all know this, we've been operating in this rhythm. A few years ago in our teaching team, I felt like the Lord laid on my heart one morning that we should take every series we do and we should brand the series with, uh, with a verse of scripture uh, that in, in the furious pace that all of us live in, that we won't, maybe we'll remember that verse of scripture, that idea, we'll say it over and over again. Uh, then if you don't remember everything about the series, you might remember this general, this generic biblical idea. And so I took that to our team. We've been doing that. And we have chosen a verse uh, for this series that everything we're really saying kind of fits up underneath that. It is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. We're going to put it on the screen. I'd like us all to read it out loud uh, together with some gusto. Ready? Go. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, I left you in the capable hands of our number two in command, Pastor Trevor, and uh, Trevor did a wonderful job. He offered a great, it was a powerful message that he offered. Yep, amen. We should give credit where credit is due, amen. Uh, I, I did get some sympathy cards. Um, I, I know that he threw me under the bus. I was praying about it, and, and the Lord said, hang, hang tough, 
Don't stoop to his level. Be the bigger man. Don't let his youth and inexperience get the better of him. I feel so seen right now. Um, and he, he led us into a conversation. And uh, normally we will preach the first message in a series around the key verse. But both Pastor Trevor and I felt like, no, we want to give justice really to Jesus' words. And so uh, Trevor did a fabulous job preaching from John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, where, where Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And we were talking about this idea. I love this imagery that, that Trevor shared, this idea that this was, here's Jesus' last prayer. Now, I don't know about how prayer went down in your house, but I, I know that in our house, we would pray around meals. And every now and again, you know, my dad would call out and he'd invite others and we would pray. And sometimes if the prayer got a little weird, if it was a little, you know, kind of off kilter, out of balance, off lane, it was not uncommon, right? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody's praying and you go, this is so weird, you want to look? Come on now, right? Have you ever done that? You're like, what, what is happening right now, right? You know? And, and I think if we were there, uh, and John's done a valuable service because one fifth of the gospel of John, I think, is in the upper room. So we get to learn about a lot of things. But I think if we were there when Jesus is praying this prayer, that all of his followers, that all of his people would be one, I think that not just even one of the disciples might have looked up and said, Lord, isn't there something else you ought to pray? I mean, isn't, aren't there some other things that are more important? I mean, we're about to go to Jerusalem. It's about to get hot and heavy. And you want to pray for unity. You want to pray for oneness. And yet, that's the prayer. And, and so, um, you know, Jesus just gives us this emblematic idea about the church of Jesus Christ. When is the church most in its lane? When we are one when we are one. And so now the question befalls us this morning, how do, we, how do we take that idea? How do we take that mission? How do we take that vision? And how do we move it into a place of reality? And I have an idea. And I, I really think Paul helps us take the next logical step. And so today, now, we're going to talk about the verse. And I want you to notice the verses around this verse. I want to read to you seven of them. They're out of Paul's words to the churches in Ephesus chapter four, the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse one. Here's Paul. Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I want us to think about these words for a few moments together. History tells us 
that Paul was uh, on a missionary journey. And uh, Paul was out starting churches, planning churches, uh, doing the work of an evangelist. And uh, uh, history tells us that, that around this time, shortly, shortly before this time, uh, Paul is uh, on his journey and that he was, uh, and he wanted to go back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Now remember, Pentecost is when the church really started. The Holy Spirit came down and, and tongues of fire rested on men and women and the church really was born in earnest in that mode. And so my sense is, as a church planter, my sense would be that Paul felt the responsibility, the need to get back to Jerusalem, the place where it all sort of began at Pentecost and maybe honor it in some way. But to do that would mean that he would have to, to skip Ephesus. And, and he wanted to go to Ephesus because... Uh, Ephesus was there, he'd planted a church. Some felt like that was a very prominent place that he had done that. These churches were important. It's not like uh, churches aren't equally important, but there are there are uniquenesses around churches. And so Paul probably felt like, you know, I, I also want to go to Ephesus, but if I go to Ephesus, I'll miss Pentecost. If I go to Jerusalem for Pentecost, I'm going to miss Ephesus. So he is caught in that quandary sometimes that leadership requires. You have to choose between two good things. You ever had to do that? And so there comes this moment where as a good leader, and I notice this as a leader, that Paul does a very, very wise thing. He reaches out somehow to the church in Ephesus and he says, I'm not going to stop in Ephesus. I'm going to stop in Miletus, which is 30 miles south of Ephesus on the way to Jerusalem. Send the elders to meet with me there. I want to talk to you. And so this is what he does. And when, he, and when he does this, here's what I want you to know. We don't really know what he said. He meets him on a beach, and they, they have this conversation. Then he goes down to Jerusalem and hits Pentecost and does what he needs to do. Now, the leaders in Ephesus, here's why this is particularly important. They knew what going to Jerusalem meant. They knew that this was likely, and in fact it was, the last time they would see him physically. And so can you imagine? You just imagine the tension of all of that. But we don't really know what he said to the elders on the beach, but we get a good idea because when he gets to Jerusalem, and here's what happens when he gets to Jerusalem, it's almost, we could all say it together, what happens? He gets arrested. And under house arrest, he writes a letter to the churches in Ephesus. This is the letter. And when he writes the letter, we might say this is him reminding the church in Ephesus, what's important. I uh, heard someone say uh, recently that um, there are always these moments uh, in leadership, there are always these moments in culture where things just sort of crystallize. And uh, I also heard recently that um, someone said to me that there are only there are three things that are required for an explosion. I don't know if you know this or not. The three things that are required are um, fuel, combatants, a spark, and then there's a third one that's required, and it's some sort of containment. 
And uh, when I think about what Paul is trying to get at, and when I think about um, our culture, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of fuel for a while. We've had a lot of spark. All we needed was a combatant or, 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 or containment, and we got the containment last March, and it's called COVID, right? COVID. And uh, I, I thought I would I thought I would invite us into a conversation about some things that I've heard, some conversations I've been into, uh, been in over the last year. Uh, what I want to share in these next few minutes doesn't represent all of my views. Some of my, my views are in there, but I'm just going to really say these are the things that I've really heard over the last year and a half. We've all had these conversations. I mean, you think about COVID. We've had conversations about masks or no masks, right? Or, or do they help? Do they not help? Vaccines. I mean, vaccines were never really something that we had a lot of tension about. And then we get to this vaccine and we don't know whether, is it a good thing to take the vaccine because it's going to lead to herd immunity and then we can all get our lives back to normal? Or, or, or is it not a good thing? Like if I take the vaccine, is, is the government infiltrating me some way in my body? I mean, is that, is that what's happening? Is it mass? I mean, Dr. Fauci, is he a good guy to listen to or is Dr. Fauci the antichrist? Who knows? Okay, so this is, this is sort of a spark that has happened and it's, it's led to a lot of challenge. I mean, for some of us, COVID has only been kind of a, 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 a nuisance in a way. It's just sort of stalled us around what we normally do. Others of us are sitting here today and we've lost loved ones or we ourselves almost lost our lives, right? That's, that's one. And if that wasn't, um, I don't know, if that wasn't uh, enough uh, to deal with, I think all of this uh, kind of created the sort of containment that led to another spark, and the next spark is, is race. Um, here's one right here, right? I mean, when we think about race, um, here's what I think about. I think about, in a way... Um, this conversation is as old as our nation. Uh, in a way, um, we had a war between the states over this one. Uh, some people still refer to it as America's original sin. And so this has led to a lot of conversations 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated time still today in America. If we looked around right now, does this accurately reflect our culture? So we've had some conversation around this. Um, is Black Lives Matter a legitimate organization trying to point out the fact that there are people in our world that are marginalized? Or is that a Marxist organization that... We shouldn't really listen to. And while we're talking about race, we should probably talk about police. Are they corrupt? Um, does it need to be overhauled? Uh, certainly we want to say that there are people putting themselves in harm's way every single day to protect our nation and protect our humanity. 
This past week, I, I reached out to precious PBSO officers who worship in our church, who are the first responders just up the road. These are conversations. That's a spark. And all of that fits so nicely under the third one, which is, well, this one. In fact... He's my son-in-law. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to say. We, we sense the need for change. And so um, we elected Donald Trump. Donald Trump's our savior. And I've been in conversation where people have, have, are behind him and support him. And I've been with people who love his policies and wish somebody, for God's sake, would take his phone away from him. And um, there's been tremendous tension about the electorate. People are very divided over this. And, and then uh, we get to an election here that we just had. That election was fraught with maybe more mistrust than, as a lover of history than, than uh, uh, FDR's uh, uh, election. I think it was 16th president of the United States. Um, and we elected Joe Biden. Some even say if you say elected Joe Biden, you get in trouble because did we really elect Joe Biden? And he's our savior now. And so this is... This is red, red, hot right now. And, and, and this is a spark that, that relates to everything else. But, you know, I, I wish I could go, this is enough, let's stop. But it's not enough. I think as long as we're piling on, Eric, let's, let's just throw it all up here. Here's one. And when I think about this, I think about a conversation that I think the church needs to have about how it welcomes all people and how we love, we love people. But when I get embedded in those conversations, sometimes people say to me this, um, loving all people means that we, there are portions of the scripture that we should, we should ignore. And then there are others who say, can't, can't, we, can't we love all people and can't we embrace what the scriptures teach? Is there a way to do that? I mean, and, and if that weren't a conversation that I think the church desperately needs to have in the last couple of months, now it's turned to the trans conversation. And we talk about our uh, identity. Is it right that our identity is around our sexual orientation? Is that the right question? Does God have particular designs on what you and I do with our body parts? Is that a conversation we should have? There's a lot going on here, which of course I think leads to another one, which is bring it on. Our sense of personal freedoms. 
What I find interesting is that our founding fathers said that we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's interesting to me that our founding fathers suggested that we all have inherently some rights that are not given to us by our country. They're given to us by God, but we can't any longer in the public sphere talk about God in the public square anymore. I find some disharmony with that. And, um, and then we have these freedoms. We have what is called in our country a bill of rights. But the question remains, the biggest existential question around this, it's been around forever, is simply this question. Are we all legitimately free people if we use our personal rights the whatever way we want to use our personal rights? If we all leave here this morning and just all uh, orient ourselves around personal rights, are we as a society completely free? I mean, we have a bill of rights. I wonder sometimes, maybe you do. Should we have a bill of responsibilities that is somehow connected to our rights? And then, of course, this, because I know you, and because I know me, um, this is the box that you get to identify as whatever it is that you carried in this morning that is breaking the unity of your spirit? Is it, is it a loved one? Is it your addiction? Is it your compulsion? What is it that is breaking the unity of your heart and the people around you? It's interesting when I read the scriptures, I believe with all of my heart that Paul actually gives us a way to navigate all of that, which is a lot. I mean, these are all conversations we should have. And Paul gives us a way to have these conversations. Now, here's what I want to tell you, front end, pastor alert here. It's super challenging. It's, it's not easy. And, and I can almost, at nine o'clock, almost felt the force of will against this. And yet, Paul is super challenging around these lines. And so, if I looked at those seven verses I just read, I want to take them in reverse order. When you get to verses four through six, I want you to notice something here. Paul says this, there's one body, one spirit as you were called to, one hope when you were called One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's over all, through all, and in all. Seven times he uses the word one. And Paul is talking about, if you were to, if you're interested in knowing, he's talking about a kind of oneness that is, that is within the body of Christ. And when he says one, he doesn't mean union, which means we're simply just connected together like one big dysfunctional family, right? Sometimes when we have Thanksgiving, and we, we just know how healthy we are because we're having everybody over, but everybody knows the people maybe you don't want to have over. And, and can I just be honest? Sometimes the people they want to, don't want to have over is you. And it's me. 
And so we all understand that. That's not what really Paul's talking about. He's not talking about uniformity like we would all be exactly like one another. He's not talking about unanimity that we would all agree with one another. What he is talking about is this organic oneness based on Jesus Christ, listen, as the common center of all his people. Now, if I could be honest for a moment, here's what I would tell you. Over the last year and a half, I don't know that I would say, if I look at the body of Christ, Jesus Christ has been the common center of us. I would say some of this has been the common center, which makes me wonder if over the last year, this has been our God. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have conversations. Uh, We need to have conversations. What Paul is talking about, actually, is how we have conversations. One author, when he was, when I, I, I think, uh, was talking about idols, and he said, an idol is anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything that becomes so central, so essential, so important to your life that should you lose it, your life would lose its meaning. I've been in conversations over the past year with people And that's how I felt when I got in my truck to drive home. What is our common center? Let me narrow it. If we go from verses four to six, let's move up and go to verses two and three. And I want to read it to you the way I've been reading it over these last weeks. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, don't be humble and gentle. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Don't just make an effort for unity. Make every effort. For unity. If we took that serious, it would change all of the conversations in this room. And in fact, let me push because I'm already pushing. And if you want to send hate mail this week, you can send it to Jose. <laughs> okay? I'm just saying. Uh, if we took it completely seriously, we wouldn't post what we post. Now, I rarely say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. I don't follow your pastor's lead. I won't do it. Jesus was silent before his accusers. Now, I know my Lord. I've, I've known him since 1976. I think he probably had some things he wanted to say, but he didn't say them. He was silent. Uh, And I want to say this. 
if you don't self-identify as a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm actually not talking to you. But if you self-identify as a follower of Jesus, I want to be very, very clear. I wrote it down. I want to say it so I don't mess it up. You don't have permission to lack humility and gentleness. You're not allowed not to have it. You're not allowed not to be gentle. You're not allowed not to bear with another in love. Can I just be clear? That's the glorious tension of the gospel. It's messy. It it creates all this weird energy in our hearts because there's so much about it in our flesh that just feels wrong. And when we step back from it and we just do what Jesus invites us to do, something powerful is unleashed in the room. Don't you want it? I want it. And Paul tells us we're not allowed not to go for it. And then I want to close with this. In verse 1, he says this. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. We joke about it around here, right? Because we try to be really good biblical students. It's always a good idea. If you're ever reading from Paul, you want to impress your friends. You say, well, he was writing from prison because he was always in prison. But I don't, I don't actually think this is what he's getting at. Three times in his letters, he does it in Romans, uh, he does it in Philippians, and he does it in Ephesians, which is where we're at. He actually uses the word bond servant, which means this. It means it's a servant who has been released, who decides not to be released. Let me say it again. It's a servant who's been set free, who decides not to be set free. In the Old Testament, what they would do when that happened, they would pierce the ear of the servant as just an indicator that the servant, by his own choice, is choosing to remain in captivity. You know what Paul's doing? He's looking for cellies. He's looking for cellmates. Yeah. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, I urge you to live the calling that you've been given to fulfill. What's he saying? We're all called. You said yes to Jesus, you're called. You said yes to Jesus, you're called. Hey, online, you said, you're called. We're all, we're all called. And, and, and we, willing, we willingly choose not to do this. We willingly choose, come on now, to do that. See, when you come to Jesus, it's not just knowing about Jesus. It's, it's an act of going, okay, Lord, um, okay. You don't have permission not to. And when enough of us do that, 
forgive me. It's like herd immunity. All of a sudden, communities change. Neighborhoods change. Churches change. We, we, we start recognizing we're all level at the cross. I quit, I quit focusing on somebody else's shortcomings. I just start dealing with my own shortcomings, which, by the way, is enough. I'm saying that about me, but I know some of y'all, it's enough. So what do you say? We're always going to have a choice. And you know what we can do over the next year or two? We'll probably add more boxes. Anybody think this is the end of the boxes? Some of you are sitting there right now going, well, what about that box? Some of you might want to go, there needs to be a pastor box (laughs) up here. But when we come to Jesus, it's that. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for any single thing that we have elevated past a belief that you are God, we are not, that you hold the world in your hands, that you are well capable and well qualified to do what you need to do to get your work done in the world. And whether we agree or are looking for it or not, Lord, what we really want is we want what we pray sometimes in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Might that be our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Lord, today the benediction's a hard one. Because, Lord, I sense in the room what you would have me say are simply the words, we don't have permission not to. And God, every now and again, there are these moments, I think, as any parent would do, where you take your children aside and you say what needs to be said. So God, we're going to sit under your admonition. We're going to sit under your teaching. We're going to sit under your wisdom. We're going to sit under your mercy and your grace. We're going to sit under your leadership. We're going to sit under your holiness. And we say, yes, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Go and be the church. We'll see you next weekend.